0: Powered through the Alaska Airlines studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go
1: now. What most interests you about the Super Bowl on Sunday? Obviously, we're all going to like eat wings and pizza and watch the game and have a ton of fun, but. This is a Super Bowl where, despite the Seahawks not playing, there's a lot of intrigue, a lot of fascinating storylines. So let's go through the most fascinating story about this year's Super Bowl. Here's the deal. There are a lot of choices. You can text yours in to the Mac and Jack's text line, 866-979-3776. Bump, what is one of the most fascinating storylines about this Super Bowl?
2: It's the easiest one. Can Mr. Irrelevant win a Super Bowl, right? Can the guy that all other teams passed on, the very last pick, now, when I was uh when I was up when I eligible for eligible for the draft, I um I didn't watch the draft the first day. I go, look, I'm not going first day. Mm-hmm. That's not the player I am. If anything, I could sneak in late. Right. So then once like the fifth and sixth round came around, now I'm watching and I'm saying, All right, let me see what's going on. And I remember the feeling after that last pick, and I go, All right, well, let's let's hang around and see what um what teams are gonna want me to come into camp for free agency. Brock Purdy was waiting around and was probably preparing for the same feeling yeah. I had yeah. in the same path that he gets a call from the 49ers. In reality it's probably best for those dudes who get picked late to not get drafted at all. Cause then you get to choose where you want to go, right? I have the option between four teams. Uh, my agent advised me to choose the Seahawks. The rest is, is what it is. Where Brock Purdy. Um, he didn't have that option yet. He fell into the best situation possible. Mr. Irrelevant. Um, you got Jimmy Garoppolo who doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. They move up in the draft to get Trey Lance. That doesn't work out. And, They took a chance on you, but because it took a chance on him because of what he did in practice and training camp, and they believed in him. But to me, that's the biggest story. Now, there are other stories we're going to talk about, but I think it starts with Brock Purdy. These are two of the complete opposites. The only thing that could have been different is if. Um, he was playing the number one pick, like which he Jared did if, in the if, NFC Championship game against, yeah, <laughs> against Jared Goff. Instead, you're 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 going to pick against a guy who is the next goat, who is the, the most marketable person in this league right now, and who we assume are going to win at least two to three more championships minimum. So I look at that situation, Brock Purdy's journey, um, how we got there, and the doubters that. Um, or the doubts that he faces every single day. I was one of those dudes. I mm-hmm. saw him in, what, eight, nine games? I go, I got to see a full season. I've seen um, people ball out for a short amount of time and then kind of fade away. That's not what happened with Brock Purdy. And now I need him, if the Niners are to win this, right, I need him to have a couple touchdown passes and, and have his fingerprints on that game or else there's a possibility he can walk away from this game and people are still saying the same things about him, which I think we're past that. Does he take advantage of his uh, resources? Of course. That's what good organizations do. You surround your quarterback with talent. The only quarterbacks I've seen do a lot with a little were watching one this year in Pat Mahomes and Tom Brady. Every single year, they didn't have Randy Moss in the gang and and Gronk and all them. So, look, man, I'm looking at Brock Purdy and saying – all right, now, I don't really care who wins this game, mm-hmm. uh, but if Brock wins, then salute to Mr. Irrelevant. If Pat Mahomes wins, then you're that much closer to uh, the Tom Brady deal.
1: I'm glad you mentioned the cast around Brock Purdy, because in addition to watching to see if the first ever Mr. Irrelevant Super Bowl MVP can happen, which is just a phenomenal story in itself, um, there's only, I think there's only been one Mr. Irrelevant in a Super Bowl, and it was, I forget his name, the kicker for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers back in 2020. Yeah, Ryan yep. suck up. Um, but uh, it, it also feels like two different paths that you can take to building a team Mm -hmm. and while I find it especially intriguing to take a route that the 49ers have taken it's also much more complicated than that because it's not just you know oh hey the Seahawks can you know take the last quarterback available they can find a guy in the seventh and make that guy work all right but you got to have a lot of other stuff working too but that being said you are going to see that on display one team that's paying their, you know, superstar fifty million per year, and, you know, one of the richest quarterback contracts and and he deserves it. And another team that's built an entire supporting cast, some of which are better stars and better players than the quarterback,
2: yeah. and as you you're talking about how they built the team, and I automatically pulled up. Uh, the Niners draft history. So in 2017, they've hit, they've found guys every single draft since Shanahan has been here. In 2017, his first year, they pick up George Kittle in the fifth round. 2018, they get uh, Fred Warner. All right, in uh, 2019, you get Nick Bosa and Debo Samuel. Oh, don't forget Dre Greenlaw as well in the fifth round now. Picks one and two, you got to be garbage teams to get those picks. That's what they were, and they hit with their first and second round pick, and then they find a guy in Greenlaw in the fifth round. Then you go to 2020, you get Brandon Ayuk in the first round. You go to 2021, you get Trey Lance, that doesn't work out, and you get Elijah Mitchell, who has been good for this team in the sixth round. And then in 2022, you get Drake Jackson, who's been contributing for this team, and you get Brock Purdy in your last pick. And then this past year, uh, I don't see too many guys doing much. But because they're winning now. They don't get the right. picks. They start their they first pick in 2023. Two you get the third round pick. So what we're seeing is, one, they hit on all – in every draft, they found somebody that's going to contribute for a long time. Also, they were not scared to say, we're going to give up a bunch to get a lot in Christian McCaffrey. The only other team that I've seen do that as of late and have success, the L.A. Rams, mm-hmm. but then they fell off shortly after that. But now they're back. They've, they've bounced back after a poor year. You get picks, you're good to go. So no, so not only have they, um, have they drafted well – uh, they also bet the house and said, all right, let's go get Christian McCaffrey. Well, on the other side, and here's another thing, too. I talked about it yesterday. Um, Purdy's going to get expensive here soon. Mm-hmm. If he puts together another year, that'll be, what, his third year? So they pick up a fifth-year option. They, they're going to have to. If I'm the Niners, if you think this is your guy, you're getting the deal done sooner than later because he's going to be worth a lot more if he continues to put up the numbers.
1: Looking at just the other side of things when the, with the Chiefs, it feels like another fascinating storyline is what can Patrick Mahomes do with this little, right? He's won a Super Bowl with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey mm-hmm. and all these weapons and the number 1 scoring offense. There might have been number 2 or 3. Either way, a top-three offense, They are not that this year they've scored the fewest points per game since 2014. His uh, wide receivers and pass catchers are leading the league in drops. He's had a slightly down year as well. There's almost this kind of focus on well what does this add to his legacy because he's doing it with less around him right.
2: He's on his Tom Brady stuff right now he if, is. He, if he wins this game because um, I've seen Tom Brady and no disrespect to Wes Welker or Julian Edelman Tom Brady made Wes Welker and Julian Edelman. Now these guys got to understand defenses. They have to get open. I get all that, but you're all a receiver. I mean, we're always connected to quarterbacks, and uh, that's exactly what Tom Brady did. I look at the weapons that Patrick Mahomes has over there with the um, with the Chiefs. Now, Rasheed Rice, he ain't no punk. Don't get it twisted, man. My, my man can play. But um, he's a rookie. He's not a guy that I see being an all-timer or a pro bowler or, or anything like that. You do have Travis Kelsey. You need somebody. And, again, we talk about all his Tom Brady stuff. He's literally on his Tom Brady stuff. He has a Hall of Fame type tight end and a bunch of other pieces, sp- pieces sprinkled around him. That's what Tom Brady had. You had Gronk, and then you had the gang. Gronk in <laughs> the gang, and let's see, let's see what happens. So it's, um, it's impressive to watch Patrick Mahomes win in different ways. We thought we had the scouting report on Patrick Mahomes and saying he's going to throw for 4,500 yards and 35, 40 touchdowns. Um, he's going to have all these weapons around him when they switched it up. So big ups to Andy Reid as well, realizing and recognizing what this team needs. But when it's all said and done, you get into the playoffs and the number 15 is going to win you some games.
1: Another fascinating storyline for this Super Bowl. Are we going to see a non quarterback win MVP? No. Do you hope so?
2: I hope so. That'd be nice. Yeah. I'd love to see if we're talking uh the 49ers, I mean, Christian McCaffrey, we went over this yesterday, would be the easy pick, but I'd love to see like a Debo Samuel or Brandon Ayuk win it. If we're talking the the Kansas City Chiefs, um, a Pacheco, that'd be awesome to see a young guy winning. Oh, it. I'd love um, that. But it's gonna come down to the quarterbacks, man. That's why that's why you pay Patrick Mahomes $50 million a year because you're mediocre throughout the season and you get into the playoffs and you're able to, to, to flip a switch in certain situations and win ball games based off of one player. I mean, you look at the throws that he made to Travis Kelsey, uh, the, the back hip shoulder in the end zone, him being hit from the side and throwing a sidearm and, and Kelsey making a play or, uh, or finding a scantling down the field and making an adjustment and making a play. That's why you pay him $50 million because he makes plays just like that. So, um, Uh, the Chiefs bet the house on Mahomes, the Niners bet the house on McCaffrey, and it's all working out for them.
3: You guys want to know how long ago it was the last time a running back won Super Bowl MVP? How long? 1998. Terrell Davis. Yeah, yeah. Man. No running back has even sniffed that award. Now, the Chiefs' first Super Bowl win, what was it, Damian Williams? I think he should have gotten gotten it. it. Yeah, Yeah,
1: he not only sealed the win, but Mm -hmm. got them. I think he had two touchdowns, like
3: 130
1: yards. Um, Another storyline I've got here. I'm going back to the 49ers bump. Tell me what you think about this. I kind of found myself wondering, what if the 49ers lose? What if the 49ers lose? Now, I'm sure Seahawks fans wouldn't hate seeing that. But on top of that, you have a team that's been to a conference title game seven times since their last Super Bowl appearance with no Super Bowl wins to show for it. Yeah, you've had down years. I mean, you finished fourth of four for a couple consecutive seasons back in 2017 to 14, uh, excuse me, to 15. Um, and, and, of course, you had a stretch during the mid-2000s where you didn't do much of anything. Otherwise, you've had some dominant 49ers teams.
2: Yeah, you have. have um If the 49ers don't get it done, they need to be mentioned with the Dallas Cowboys as far as teams with a whole bunch of talent that have had a lot of expectations and haven't been able to get it done. Now, the Niners have been to the conference championship game, right? The Dallas Cowboys haven't even done that. But when you think about the franchises with the most championships, you go Steelers, you got Cowboys, you got Niners, you have the Patriots. The Niners are the ones who have not won a Super Bowl in the last 30 years. Everyone else in the Cowboys, but the the other, other squads have won. We've seen the the Bengals reach the Super Bowl and almost get one. Um you got to start mentioning them with the Cowboys as a team that just can't get over the hump, man. So there's more on the line for the Niners than obviously for the uh for the uh, the Chiefs because you feel like with Patrick Mahomes, with Andy Reid and a couple young talents, they're gonna get back. With this, I think the Niners can bounce back from this. But uh, like I pointed out, after this year, guys are going to get paid. Brandon Ayuk is going to want his money. Uh, there's a couple other guys uh, who are going to be on the table. You're going to have to pay your quarterback sooner than later, and not wait till that last year as well. The window is closing now. I think that they can. You know, back in the day when I used to live in a house is all jacked up, the window—if you didn't put a stick in there—right it just slam shut on you. You can still put a stick in the window for a year or two for the Niners, sure. But eventually, man.
1: It's going to hey, slam shut. It's going to
2: slam shut on you real quick.
1: It is interesting, though. It, that's such a good take. I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're right. It's it's uh, it's almost like if I was a 49ers fan. Now, we're one to talk. The Seahawks have not been back to a conference title game since uh, we were last in the Super Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously, that goes without saying, but what I mean to say is it's been more than 10 years since we've seen this team uh, have a ton of postseason success. Get to the postseason, yes. Win a ton of games, no. Um, but that being said, I don't think that since their last trip to the Super Bowl, the Seahawks have had teams quite as talented as some of the 49ers teams.
2: No, nah, I ain't touching it. You know what I mean? Not, like, it. Not overall.
1: No, tw- I mean, 2022, 2021, uh, 2019. I mean, these are teams that were top five in uh, points per game, defensively and offensively, Certain top 10 in all categories. But um, like the, I mean, 2022, when they lost to, who did they lose to in 2022? That would have been the Rams in the conference title game. No, Eagles, Eagles, Eagles. Um, Obviously, you know, we know that that was because they didn't have any healthy quarterbacks left. But I mean, they were number one defensively and top five offensively. Like it was such a good team. Nothing to (laughs) show for it. 2019, such a good team. Mm -hmm. Nothing to show for it. When the Seahawks were beating you left and right, you had such good teams. Nothing to show for it.
2: Nothing to show for it, man. Uh, Kittle's getting up there. Kittle's 30 years old now. Trent Williams is what, 35, 36 years old now. Um, I mean, now I think I think John Lynch has the capabilities of making sure this team is relevant for the next four to five years. We're looking at um, the draft history and, and what they've done. The scouting department, they know what they're doing. They have a philosophy. They're sticking to it. They've done great. Uh, but would they be able to put together a team that's as talented as this team has been the last few years? Extremely hard to do. One of the best teams I've seen offensively and defensively, in the last 10, 15 years?
1: Um, Right before we get to four-down territory, is there anything I missed in terms of storylines you're just so fascinated by? We covered a lot, but...
2: Uh, nah, man, I think yeah. that's it. Yeah, we yeah. we
1: talked about quite a... It's a really fascinating uh, on both sides uh, storylines heading into this one. I can't wait to watch. Let's get to four-down territory.
0: This, this is four-down territory. Going inside, inside the, the game, game What former Seahawks and Cook wide receiver Michael Bumpus. First
1: down on the Pat McAfee Show, Dan Marino said he'd be able to throw for 6,000 yards in today's game. Do you believe
2: him? Dan Marino, the greatest quarterback to never win a championship. Is real. Um, in 1984, he threw for 5,084 yards, 48 touchdowns, and seven interceptions. In 1984, right, he had 564 attempts, but what's even more impressive, he was only sacked 13 times that whole year. Crazy. This year, Trevor Lawrence had the same amount of attempts, 564 as – Dan Marino did in 1984, he had 4,000 yards, 21 touchdowns, and 14 interceptions. Mahomes in 2022 had 648 attempts. He had 5,250 yards, 41 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. So Dan Marino was averaging 14 yards per catch. Crazy. Right, uh, he had 84 less attempts than Patrick Mahomes. So if you just times 84 by 14 and assume that he completes those, right, he's gonna add another what uh, 1,100 yards to his deal. Dan Marino can definitely throw for 6,000 yards in today's offense. Do you remember how the game was played in 1984? Me neither. I wasn't born
1: yet, Stacey. <laughs> no, uh,
2: but I would assume it was a bit more physical than today's game. Right. Going across the middle was tougher. You could probably body slam the QBs at that point. But he was still only sacked 13 times. So that tells me he was getting the football out of his hands quick as heck. Dan Marino in today's game would dominate. And it's unfortunate that he never got himself a Super Bowl win because he's uh, more than deserving of that thing. I second that. Dan Marino would tear this NFL up.
1: The 206 texting in. We're on a bit of a delay. So we may have already answered it. Um, But what's up with old men saying they can play in today's age? You kind of answered it already, but um, to, to throw that question your way, Bump, I think it's because those quote old men look at how the rules of the game have changed and yeah. say, "Yeah, it benefited offense, benefits offense now in a way it never did before."
2: It's not as violent. Yeah, it's still a violent game. Don't get it twisted. You still get your your, your head rung during this whole deal, but it's just a different game, and they protect quarterbacks and receivers like they never have before.
1: All right, uh, second down. The Chargers. This is interesting. A rumor to be listening to trade offers for Joey Bosa. What team would be a good fit for him?
2: Bosa, man. Um, now, the thing about Joey Bosa is that he's only played in 14 games the last two seasons. He's 29 years old, and he's owed $25 million in both 24 and 25. Now, what teams could use as services? The first team I look at, I go to Houston. They got $65 million in cap space. And imagine him teamed up with Will Anderson, who had seven sacks last year. Only difference is they run a 4-3. Chargers ran a 3-4. Don't matter. is the type of guy who can play. Houston has eight draft picks. Then I look at the Detroit Lions, $61 million in cap space. Imagine him teamed up with Aiden Hutchinson. He had 11 sacks. That's another 4-3. They have seven draft picks. I mentioned the draft picks because you're going to have to give up something, right? Yeah. You're not just straight up. Um, and then the Las Vegas Raiders also have $43 million in cap space. Imagine him teamed up with Max Ooh. Crosby with 14 and a half sacks. Now, I doubt the Crosby thing goes down because you are in the same division, right? You don't want to see this guy uh, two times a year. But I'm looking at those three teams and I'm going, go, look, you got money. You already have your Batman on 01 side. What if you get a Robin on the other side? Joey Bosa is a talent. He hasn't been healthy the last couple years. You got to bank on him. Um, Being able to to put together three or four years, he's 29 years old. I say he has three or four more good years left in him. But uh, if you are a team that is right on the cusp of of doing something great that's why i point out houston and detroit and i throw las vegas in it just because i feel like antonio pierce is the complete players coach and can get a guy like joey bolsa to buy into what they're doing over there you got to go after this dude so those are my three teams if they got money they got draft picks houston detroit and the raiders go ahead and shoot your shot and see what happens
1: i'd love to see it third down with the selections into the pro bowl hall of fame being announced what realization did you come to
2: I've come to the realization that we will never see great returners again. It's over, man, And unless um, you find a really good punt returner. But the last time we saw good good punt returners, we had superstars back there taking these punts. The punt return game now is just for possession. That's why you have the dude with no wiggle and for sure hands back there catching it. Now, kick returns are eliminating that. off top, so we just won't see it anymore. I, I remember watching Josh Cribs, eight career kickoffs for a touchdown. And for, and Josh Cribs, that's the perfect name for a returner. Take it to the crib, is what we used to say growing up. You got Leon Washington. You guys know Leon. Eight career kickoffs for touchdowns. My man who inspired me to be a returner, we got Dante Hall. We all remember his return against the Broncos, making guys look silly. Now, this goes back in the day for you historians, man. One of the smoothest athletes I've ever seen. Gail Sayers was nice, man. He had a game where he had six touchdowns against the 49ers, I believe. And now you got Deion Sanders. He's got nine touchdowns uh, in the return game. Cordell Patterson, who's still in the game, and the greatest to do it, Devin Hester, who will be in the Hall of Fame. um, I think it's official. He's going in this year. 14 pump returns for touchdowns, 20 total. I look at just the way the game is played. Players are getting paid a lot more money. You want to protect your assets. You're not putting your ballers back there on kick return and pump returns. That's the difference in today's game is that the the guys who can take it to the house, take it to the crib, aren't back there anymore.
1: Do you think that that's what kick-started this? Or because there's also been a change in rules with returns. Do you think that that was kind of an influence? Too?
2: Well, the rules changed the kickoff return game, yeah. not the punt return game. Okay, so uh, You look at punt return, it's like we're not putting our stars back there. Yeah, Kickoff return, you know, we, we have seen Debo Samuel back there as of late, though. Um, so I props to the 49ers putting Debo back there because you want him to touch the ball as many times as possible. But it's rules and it's money that changed the game. We won't, we won't see another great returner. Again.
1: But what if we see this Sunday another great return?
2: Well, then big ups, and I will be standing there like a proud uncle with a smile on my face, Are and you a beer in my hand.
1: To do that for a bold take Friday? Sure. Okay, let's do it. Great. Fourth down. Non-football news. What you got?
2: All right. Non-football news. Our guy Brandon Gustafson is at the waste management deal in Scottsdale. And I'm extremely jealous. It's a bucket list type of thing. So I saw a stat. It said last year TPC Scottsdale announced that they sold 4 million alcoholic beverage during the Waste Management Open. Oh 4 God. million! <laughs> people in Arizona getting lit. Oh, and I hope my guy BG is one of them people who's getting lit. Something tells me he's having himself a good time, Drink man. Drink water. Uh, this, is, uh, this is what I love, man. Um, There's nothing like a... Football type atmosphere on the golf course. Um, I've never experienced it in a setting like that. I have during some some club tournaments where you tee off on the first tee, everyone's booing you and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, man, four million, four point six actually. When it comes to uh, alcoholic beverages being sold, something tells me they'll sell more this year.
1: I don't uh, watch a lot of tournaments. I obviously know the Masters is very formal and all of that. But how does this event compare to like? Is it more informal? Is it just like fun? Is it?
2: They're, they just allow people to get nuts. I mean, you just go on um, X Twitter and type in waste management and you're going to see people walking sideways, walking backwards, <laughs> taking naps. Like it is, um, it's a real bro type of scene. And the okay. women get involved too. I've seen women uh, chugging beers. It's just, um, it's real American. Honestly, Stacey, real American.
1: Uh, all right, well, former Seahawks Sean Alexander had a bold take about the 2005 squad. That's coming up next. Don't go anywhere.
0: This is The Timeline with Bump and Stacy. Brought you by 1 800 O A.
1: It is The Timeline on Bump and Stacy, reading you the top stories you're going to see and hear about on your own timeline. A few of these coming from Radio Row at the Super Bowl. So let's get started. In an interview with Denver's 850 KOA, Sean Alexander said the 2005 Seahawks would have beaten the 2005 Steelers 99 times out of 100.
0: If we'd have played the Steelers 100 times, we'd have probably lost one. And that night, it was the one. You know, we knew that they wouldn't be able to play with us if we did three things. Don't turn the ball over. Don't have any offensive penalties. And uh, and don't let them have any big plays. And, you know, you go reverse order. Fifty-yard reverse pass for a touchdown, eighty-yard run in the beginning of the third quarter. You know, they, you know, we knew they wouldn't be able to drive, and then we threw an interception down there in the, in the fourth quarter, right before we was going to yeah. drive in and take the lead. And we had we had more more penalties in that game than we had all all other games that year. Mm. So you know, so you know, so on one hand, you want to be like, oh, come on, rest. But the other hand, you're like, dude, we played through the rest, and we still had a shot, and we didn't bring him home. So that is the pain of that game is that. You know, here it is, what, 15 years later? You still remember it.
1: Now, I was looking back at the stats between both teams from 2005. Seattle, obviously, I mean, they were averaging more points per game. Uh, obviously, a better rushing team. Pittsburgh was a wild card, had a easier schedule during the regular season. Still a solid team. I don't know if I agree with Sean. I don't. I mean, he, the rest took it, to. but I don't I He's don't
2: supposed know. to talk like that. Yeah, He's supposed to, but... Pro Bowlers on the Seahawks. Hasselback, Alexander, Max Strong, Walter Jones, Hutchinson, toeback Lofa. Steelers, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to jack his name up. Feneca, I believe, the office alignment lineman. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got two off alignments. You got Jeff over there. You got Hampton, a nose tackle, Joey Porter, outside linebacker, and then one of the greatest safeties of all time, Troy of Polamalu. Offensively, the Hawks were number two overall, number three when running, number 13 when throwing the football. Steelers were number 15 overall, number 24 passing, number five running. Defensively, number 17 overall were the Seahawks, 25 against the pass, fifth against the run. For the Steelers, they were fourth overall, 16th against the pass, third against the run. That year, the Seahawks had four all-pro guys, Hasselbeck, Max Strong, Walter Jones, and Hutchinson. When I just rattle off those numbers and stats, and I can see where he's coming from, but you also got to realize that it's played on the field and not – via stats, and I didn't mention Heinz Ward or mm. Randall L either, mm-hmm. so um, 99 times out of 100, okay, he's supposed to feel that way, I give him 6 out of 10 times, 6 out of 10 times I think the Steelers excuse me, the Seahawks beat the Steelers but um, the reason why I don't I don't like when people say, oh, well, nine out of ten times we beat them because you don't know if nine out of ten times you're going to execute. You don't know if nine out of ten times um, your quarterback's going to take care of the football. You don't know nine out of ten times that uh, you're not going to fumble the rock. There are so many things that happen in every football game that determines which way it goes. that I don't agree when people say that, but I do agree that athletes are supposed to think that about their squad. Because that – 05 Seahawks squad was filthy Mm. but that Steelers squad has some guys too yeah
1: I would never be upset with a former player from one of these teams for saying uh you know we were the better team that day I would do a little bit of an eye roll at like an NFL seemingly objective analyst saying like the 2005 Steelers were you know significantly better than the Seahawks or even vice versa like they were kind of comparable teams Seattle was yeah. a better team but like the Steelers had a really good defense they had a really solid run game now do I think that in Super Bowl 40 itself there were uh some shadiness some shadiness yeah, yes yeah. For yes, sure. yes. For sure but but looking at the matchup on paper I don't see like a 99 out of 100 type thing
2: when's the last time you saw a Super Bowl matchup and said "Oh, that team snuck in the Super Bowl
1: Maybe the maybe the Giants. That's the closest. And they won.
2: And even and even if you think they snuck in, people don't realize they have one of the greatest defensive lines of all time. Yeah. Like I mean yeah. Now you can look at the regular season record and say, "All right, I didn't expect them to get in." But especially if you're a wild card, you got to go on the road and beat good football teams. So um, yeah, I I agree that Sean Alexander should be talking like that. You ask me about any team I played on, I'm gonna, uh, I'll I'll look at it in 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 a positive form. But um, those were just two good teams battling it out, and unfortunately, the referees played a role in this. Yeah,
1: they sure did. They that was ugh. I don't even want to go down memory lane more with that one. Next story in the timeline: Cowboys running back Tony Pollard apparently didn't know that his team's defensive coordinator was gone. That Dan Quinn had taken the Commanders' job a week ago. Uh, he found out live yesterday on the Pat McAfee show.
0: Your guys' defensive coordinator obviously got the head coaching gig in Washington. I think you guys are still going through the process, right, of figuring out who that DC might be when you got when you face that defense. You guys have stars everywhere you look. What do you think? What do you look for them for next year, and who do you think they might bring in?
2: Um, you know, it's crazy. (laughs) See, I hadn't been on social media. Like, (laughs) I kind of I got rid of Instagram like midway through the season. How come? How come? Too much people being negative. I mean, being a a cowboy, you just have to find ways to keep your mental on point. You know. Yeah, keep the noise out. Did
3: you just find out you lost your defense coordinator? I just
2: found out right now. Oh, hey, he's a yeah. the head coach of Washington. Who's breaker? Dan Quinn's yeah. yeah. head coach of <laughs> Washington. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> here's Now, it's crazy to me that it's been like a week and none of his teammates – have had a conversation with him. Does he just isolate himself? Also, I low key respected. He said, I'm not on social media. Do you not watch TV either? What are you doing? Do you have kids? You're spending time with your kids. I almost respect that he's able to disconnect like that. Because me personally, especially with what we do, my phone is always in my hand. I'm always looking to see what's going on. Uh, So big ups to him. I'm more concerned about his relationship with his teammates. Nobody hit him up (laughs) and said, Tony, man, you see what's going down? Can you believe this? Dan Quinn was this and that. Tony said, look, season's over. Don't talk to me. I'm done.
1: Also, like, you don't have any friends that play for the commanders that texted you going like, hey, tell me about, or you know, tell me about Or friends in general, Quinn.
2: your cousin, like nobody.
1: Tony, I'm. what have you been doing? Have you been sleeping? Are you gaming? Tony's like, like in the Bahamas happening?
2: somewhere just not worried about anything.
1: I don't. The thing is, if he was like a reality star, I'd be like, he's lying. Mm-hmm. Like he's making this up yeah. for the viral moment. But I absolutely believe him. I
2: saw his face. Yeah. He was like, what? he looked like me <laughs> when you mentioned Pete Carroll had gotten uh, let go. Like, he <laughs> had that face.
1: <laughs> uh, all right. Next up here, the Knicks traded point guard, Ryan Arsid. Is it Deon Kono?
3: Ryan Archie Diacano.
1: That's what I said to the Pistons today. Archie Diakono. Archie Diakono. Takono. No. To the Pistons today amidst his NBA record twenty game storing scoring drought. Now I can't pronounce anything.
2: Well the the Pistons are getting a Piston type of guy. I mean his can't average. Score, can't play. His average. <laughs> he's averaging four points in his career. His best season, he had six point seven points with Chicago in twenty eighteen and nineteen. He's averaging two point three minutes per game, but he's getting a laugh last. Our last laugh. I
3: messed all of us <laughs> up forever. I'm he's
2: uh, he's earned about thirteen million dollars in seven years.
3: How, how do you go twenty straight games as an NBA player without scoring?
2: I true. Even that's if you're impressive. only averaging two
3: minutes a game, like you had to have had like a wide open shot
2: scenario at, at that some point.
1: point you're in your own head right at uh, that coaches, point you're trying or
2: he's like look this is my role to grab rebounds and to start the outlet I'm not, you're not putting trying up to score any shots my job is to come off the bench well, and, a, and use all of I my fouls. He's a guard so he's got to have the ball on
3: his hand quite a bit in those okay.
2: two minutes hey. 2.3 minutes per game, you're just making sure you're on the roster. Do not upset the coach. <laughs> Run this offense. Do what you do. But that's amazing. I would at least drive to the rack and get fouled and get to the free-throw line.
1: Well, speaking of, ranking the things that you think you could do in a professional game, if you had to, say, shoot a three-pointer, uh, hit, I'll say a base hit. Uh, I'm
2: not touching a rock. Or uh
1: <laughs> touchdown.
2: I'd say make a shot in an NBA them?
3: game might be the easiest, but even then,
2: it, it de- getting swatted every time. It depends on, like, am I featured in this offense? Are we going to set me up like Matt Hasselback did against like the Rams trying- back in my day, and I know I'm going to yes. get this ball? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's a touchdown. In it's what I've scenario, done the most. each scenario, they're
1: going to try to help you out, because I don't know how you do yeah, it. Maybe they'll let you know what pitch is coming <laughs>
2: Uh, It don't matter if I know what what pitch is coming. The the gas that these pitchers have, I'm not touching that thing.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely not. Uh, All right. We are going to um, bring on Pac-12 Network's Nick Elioti. Coming up to hear a bit more about Chip Kelly. The two coached together at Oregon from 2007 to 2012. So that's coming up at noon. Going to take a look around the NFL. The latest from Radio Row at the Super Bowl coming up at 1230. Before we get to any of that, though. Feels like we're seeing a mass exodus of college coaches to the pros. Why? What's next?
0: Bumpin' Stacy. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios on Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost.
1: Why are we seeing such a mass exodus of college coaches to the pros, whether or not uh, Chip Kelly becomes OC for the Seahawks? That's now two college coaches, in addition to Ryan Grubb, that have been connected to that job. The Packers just hired Jeff Halfie right out of Boston College. Why do you think we're seeing more college coaches leave for the pros, or am I just imagining this? Like, are you kind of sensing this? Nah,
2: we, um, what was it, third down yesterday, I pointed out Boston College's head coach is leaving college to go be the defensive coordinator for the Packers. And it's really not that complicated. They're leaving because of the circumstances they're put in. Not only do they have to recruit guys and go to their homes and make them feel like they're the most important kid in the world and assure their parents that they're going to a great situation. Now they have to fundraise for this NIL deal. They got to go to these alums and the boosters and say, we need X amount of dollars to compete. So now even if you don't get the the money that you need, you do get a kid from high school. You develop him. He registers his first year. He comes in as a registered freshman, has a good season, balls out his sophomore year, he's gone. Unless you're able to pay him what these uh, Big Ten and SEC schools are paying, you won't be able to compete. Yesterday I pointed out Texas A&M, Tennessee, Arkansas, um, and there was another SEC uh team in their top 10 NIL deals. You got five SEC teams. You got two big 10 teams. They say there's a power four now with the PAC 12 being eliminated. Mm -hmm. There's really a power two Mm -hmm. It's the big 10 and SEC because they have the most money. So it's almost like you are a farm league team for the SEC and the big 10 because if you're not able to pay these kids what they feel they deserve, they're going to be gone. These head coaches don't want to deal with that anymore. They don't have the power that they used to have. Uh, Boston College coach said, I just want to coach football. I don't want to do all this extra stuff. Coaching in the NFL is easier than coaching in college football because at least you have an idea of what you got coming back. You got guys who sign contracts, two-year contract, one year, three year, four year, whatever. You know we have this guy for X amount of years, and if we don't want him, we can cut him or we can trade. We're in control of the whole situation. The portal has opened everything up. NIL deals have opened everything up, and these college coaches don't have the control that they had. And most importantly, they don't know what type of team they're going to have the next year. You have a good year. You have one good year. Your quarterback balls, receiver. You got offensive linemen who are doing their thing. If you can't pay them, they're going to dip. So these college coaches are like, "Look, I'll just go to the NFL, where there's a there's a bit more structure in this whole thing."
1: Do you see um, any kind of reflection of the college game in the pros that's more or less than before? Like is there when you when you make the transition what I'm saying is it easier than it might have been 10 15 years ago?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um when I looked at college it's like the uh it used to be the place where you try things because an Alabama will play a smaller school, and personnel is going to win that game. You don't even have to coach that good. I got guys. They don't have guys. Let's try some things. Let's try the spread, Mike Leach. Let's let's throw the ball 65 times in a game and see if that works. Let's run the same concept, Leach. Big ups. Rest in peace. I love you. Um, Let's run the same concept 35, 40 times in a, in a game, and we're just going to out-execute them. That's what the game used to be in in college football. You try some things. But as these younger guys make the transition, these coaches to the NFL, they bring their ideas, and the NFL seem more accepting to try. Because you got to look at the leadership in the NFL. You look at most of the owners in this league. This family has had the team for 100 years and they're not going anywhere and they're less likely to be innovative and try some new things. With these new guys being hired, with uh, talent being different, with college players being more prepared for the NFL, I think that allows these offensive and defensive coordinators to be a bit more creative. So the game now resembles college football more than it ever has before. You look at a Lincoln Riley offense, you can find that Mm -hmm. in the NFL. Um, you look at even like a, a Utah offense, right? Let's go contrast. Let's go to a team that packs it in with two tight ends and run the football. You look at uh, the the Baltimore Ravens and say, okay, they do some of the same thing. So, yeah, I just think that there's more parity and there's more um, room for guys to be creative.
1: Can I ask you a question that I unfortunately didn't prep you for, but I'm just thinking of now? Mm-hmm. It's only kind of slightly related. NIL combined with the transfer portal rules and then now like coaches going all over the place, is, like, somewhat recent. Like, the transfer portal rule itself isn't new. Even the changes aren't new, I mean. But, mm-hmm. like, all of it combined, like, I feel like what college football is now feels slightly newer. Yeah. Do you think there's going to be any effect on players when they get to the pros? Like, does that – I don't know if that would alter things. Like, I, I, I'm thinking loosely, like, maybe not being with the same program. I think can have an effect, you know what I mean? Yeah,
2: I think college players are in for a rude awakening when they get to the NFL. How so? Because you don't just have the option to leave. In the NFL, you're with this team for however long your contract says or however long they want you there. It could be cut short. You don't get to say, hey, uh, Mike McDonald, don't like the way you're using me. I'm going to hit the portal and see what's going on. Mike McDonald's going to look at you and say, well, we got you for two to three years. You just bumped yourself down the depth chart. Go ahead and run down on kickoff team and and see how you do there. I mean, it's, it's the thing that I got out of college football was that it taught me a bunch of things, man, how to be early and not be on time. Um, how to uh, live out live on your own right you're doing your own dishes your own laundry um, developing relationships with your coaches and not having to lean on your parents which my parents were never the helicopter parents and kind of just mm-hmm. hung around um, you're losing some of that because you knew you had to answer to somebody at some point in college you have to answer to me was Bill Doba and Mike Evaneller coach skipper. Like, you got to answer to somebody. They have the leverage in the situation. You're learning that when you get out into the real world, um, there's a hierarchy to things. To now, if you are a five-star and you are marketable, you haven't, you haven't had to answer to anybody other than your parents when you're in high school. And even then, who knows what you're being raised, how you're being raised in high school. You might be the all-star kid in your high school, and you can break all the rules and nothing happens to you. Then you go to college, and you don't like your situation. You can leave with no consequences. You used to have to sit out a year and mm-hmm. say, all right, well, unless you're going to a lower division, you have to sit out a year. So I think what these kids are losing is structure. That doesn't mean that every kid that leaves college football is going to get to the NFL and not have structure and just be crazy. I'm just saying I think we're we're more likely to see a lot more failures from these these top recruits and top names once they get into the NFL because for the first time in your life, you're going to be 22, 23 years old and you're not calling any shots. You're falling in line and, and sticking to the program.
1: What's weird is – I totally agree with you. That's really good insight. I also wonder if there's going to be more of, like, um, players willing to speak out about their situation publicly than there were in years past, you know? Like, I'm going to tweet that I'm unhappy or I'm going to mm-hmm. uh, post to Instagram or whatever with some shade towards my head coach or my play caller or whoever it is. What's weird is all of this I agree with, and I I don't know that I'm, like, deeply concerned about the college football product itself. Mm-hmm. So there's this weird, you know what I mean? It's like we're talking about college coaches potentially, you know, feeling mm -hmm. more free to leave for the NFL. Uh, Players, you know, um, they're kind of like potentially their uh, NFL experience being affected by how college football is now. But I feel like some teams, at least in those power two, are just getting even better.
2: No, they're about 15 schools, that are going to be all right no matter what. Yeah. They'll be fine. It's the other guys. It's the – the Wazoos, Oregon states, the Boise states, you know, the, the teams that can find um, a good group of guys every now and then and, and make a run at it. Now you make a run for a year. I mean, there's the reason why I went to WSU, one of the reasons why. Um, is because they were coming off a of 3-10 win seasons. 3-10 win seasons, you beat Texas in the Holiday Bowl. You There was a recent Rose Bowl appearance. And the reason why they were able to do that is because they were able to keep the same group of guys together for four to five years, mm-hmm. develop them, and bam, you get this team. Now... That same group of guys, if you do it again, the Eric Coleman's, the Marcus Trufant's, uh the Jason Guessers, right? They have one good year, they're gone, yeah. and they're gonna go get paid. And now Wazoo is looking at a, a retro sophomore who's never touched the field. Now take this team who just went to the Rose Bowl last year and make something of it. But you know what, You're gonna have three or four of your main pieces gone. So that's what you lose. You lose the smaller program finding lightning in a bottle and and being able to 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 ride that way for a few years.
1: It's just interesting. I just wonder. Again, I enjoy watching college football like I still like the product, but I wonder what it's going to look like in 5 years and importantly, what the NFL experience is going to be like for those guys. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really insightful that like that lack of structure, sometimes a lack of discipline, the ability to move around wherever and not be accountable in quite the same way. That all changes because the NFL is not changing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The NFL does not have the equivalent. It's really interesting. Uh, We're going to stick with college football, but for a different reason. Nick Aliotti, of Pac-12 Network is joining us next to talk about potential Seahawks OC. Chip Kelly, don't go anywhere.